Local voices, local conversations. NapaBroadcasting.com Welcome to NapaBroadcasting.com. One week ago, the County of Napa went before Superior Court Judge Diane Price to make its case to uphold the decision made by Napa County Registrar John Tudor on advice from County Council that the so-called Oak Woodland Protection Initiative was flawed, that the measure that had gone out to collect signatures did not contain the necessary information to allow signers to fully understand the measure and the full extent of what was being proposed. The issue was whether proponents made the full text of the proposed measure available to signers as required by state law. Today, Judge Price issued her ruling in support of the county's position that the measure may not appear on the November ballot, that the proponents need to start the process anew. To talk about this decision today, I'm joined by Napa County Registrar, John Tudor. John, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure being aboard, Jeff. Well, it's good to have you here. Talk a little bit about the decision today, uh, your reaction to it, the county's reaction to it, because I assume you've also talked to Council Mintron and the rest of your colleagues. Well, uh, first of all, as you and I mentioned just before we went on the air, uh, this is a ministerial duty that I have to carry out, and I carried it out. Somebody challenged what the decision was, and the judge has upheld the decision that we made. So uh, we have pleased that the position we took did receive uh, confirmation from Judge Price, uh, and then we'll move forward with the next step. So. Uh, Min Tran, the county council, is on vacation, but we have been in touch with each other. That's the thing with the new world of communication. So it doesn't matter that he's on a cruise somewhere. Uh, he's still in touch with us. And, um, uh, of course, it was his work and that of his uh, co-counsel from an outside firm, Art Coons, that put the pieces together to uh, make the presentation to Judge Price that she uh, did confirm. Right. As you and I were talking again uh, before we went on the air, that, that certainly this was not a contest, but it has to feel good from your perspective, from the lawyer's perspective, to know that the decision you made was, was the right one that was upheld by the courts, That to feel better about the sense that, yes, you made the right decision. Right. Well, it's an, un, you know, it's an unfortunate position to be in. Uh, we and let me just explain the process a little bit because all the years I've been doing this, I've always uh, felt a little badly about how this process works in terms of the proponents themselves. Um, so in February, when the first notice to us of intent to circulate a petition is presented, the proponents have to present the initiative at that point, and that happened both with the animal shelter and with the Oak Woodland petitions. At that point, my job starts by directing that notice of intent and the initiative to county council. And they have 14 days to prepare what's called a title and summary so that that is the county's participation in the drafting of the petition, just that part, the title and summary. And so they did that. They return it to me. I provide it to the proponents. They then publish the notice of intent with the title of summary in the paper, and then they go out and start circulating the petition. Now, what has bothered me, and it's the law, so it's not uh, anything I can change, nor would I want to change unless the legislature changed it, is that 
After the title and summary is written, the petition goes out, the proponents work hard uh, with volunteers or however they gather the, uh, the signatures, but it isn't until they present the petition to me, which happened on May 11th of 2016, that I am charged with two duties under the elections code. The first duty is to verify whether adequate signatures have been uh, collected, and I have 30 working days to do that. And um, I did that, and I came up with the certification that, yes, uh, there were sufficient signatures on the petition, and I certified that. However, on May 11th, the same day the proponents presented it to me, I turned it over to county council because the second piece of 9101, which is the elections code section, the first piece is the signatures. The second piece is each petition section shall comply with sections 100 and 9020 and contain a full and correct copy of the notice of intention and accompanying statement, including the full text of the proposed ordinance. So it's only at this point, and this seems like sort of a mousetrap for all proponents of all initiatives, it's only at this point that the shall comply, including the full text, is presented by me to county council to review that. Okay, do you follow that? Yeah, that absolutely, wasn't absolutely. done the first time around in February. That's not the charge in February. The charge in February is to prepare a title and summary. So they do that. We do that. It looks like we have taken some action vis-a-vis -vis the petition in February, but that action is limited to the title and summary. And the big action, the big review, doesn't take place until the fully signed petition is presented to me. And has this happened in your, exper your personal experience? Has this happened before here in the county? Yes, but not in the county of Napa that I know of, but in the city of Napa. Several years ago, I can't remember how many, it could have been 10 or more, um, some proponents circulated a city initiative to limit something about development out on the southeastern corner of the city, out not the Stanley Ranch, but out in that area. And they got a title and summary. They circulated their petition. And when they presented the petition to the city for the verification of signatures, which I started to do, by the way, because they hire me to verify their signatures since I have the ability to do that, they started the second part of that process, which was to review the petition. And I got a call within two days saying, stop, don't do anything with the signatures because we, the city attorney and the city clerk, have discovered there's a problem with the petition. And that petition was also rejected. It never went to court, uh, and all those signatures have been gathered. So that's the one I know of here locally. Of course, I saw you at the court hearing, right. and you heard all of the court cases being rattled off by both sides of the uh, attorneys. And of course, so this does occur uh, on a, not a frequent basis, but it does occur. And, you know, What's being balanced here is the, the right of the citizens to petition for change in California, both statewide and local, against the county's mandatory duty, my mandatory duty, to make sure that what is finally presented to the voters meets the requirements 
of law. And so the fact that it's a two-step process and that the second step doesn't get taken until everybody's done all the work and gotten the signatures is what's frustrating, I'm sure, for proponents and for me in the sense that I can't do that at the front end because that isn't what's provided. But given that, given the nature of the law, the way the law is constructed, and given that the the initiative was prepared by an outside law firm that, that has experience in these things, shouldn't they have known, shouldn't their legal counsel have made them aware of this requirement, of the problem that, that was subsequently discovered? Well, I can't speak for the proponents or for their attorney. I think it's unfortunate that that uh, issue was not covered at the very beginning and had to be found at the end of the process. But yes, if I were, and I'm not an attorney, uh, but if I were an attorney and I was working on an initiative petition, I would certainly make sure, because I'm drafting the language as their attorney, uh, in my, in my, if I were a private attorney, I would make sure I did it right. Now, we had an attorney to work on another initiative, not that long ago, who was brand new at this. And fortunately, they were able, by working with other people, to figure out how to do it right. But the first thing I say to people, Jeff, when they approach me, I'd like to do an initiative, or I have a client who'd like to do an initiative, or what are we going to, you know, like Mm -hmm. one instance right now is the Blakeleys are talking about something on the ballot. Not sure if they will, but The first thing if they call me is I say, you need to hire an experienced elections attorney or campaign consultant to help you draft the initiative because the initiative is the people's, your, as proponents for the people, is your job. Our job is to check it when it comes back. Talk a little bit about what the missing piece was here. What was it that was not included that is the basis for for this decision and this argument? All right. Well, did you read the, um, have you read the decision? I have not yet read the decision. I'm still waiting for it. Uh, somebody sending it to me. I haven't gotten it yet. All right. Well, I do have it. So let me, uh, let me read. I'm not going to read it, of course, but let me just read uh, the key thing. So here's the key point out of it. So she talks, uh, Judge Price talks about the arguments in mm-hmm. both directions, et cetera, is, and she says the issue presented here is whether the initiative is enacting the best management practice. And those were something that the board adopted. They are voluntary practices. They are just sort of guidelines for the public to understand. And so, but the initiative refers to two specific pieces of those. The first piece is sections one and three of appendix D which are, and this is the judge's language, which are now part of a voluntary county policy that does not have the force of law. And what we argued was that they will be enacted in the legal requirements by the plain language of the initiative. That's again from her decision. And she starts off by saying the court agree, I shouldn't start off, the next paragraph starts, the court agrees with respondents. And therefore, and then she cites the two things, there are many things, but the director shall not approve unless proposed a mediation is presented and uh, the, uh, 
the other thing was that as a minimum, it refers to that. And so what she says is the court finds that because the text of sections one and three in Appendix D were omitted were, were from the initiative petition that was circulated, the initiative does not contain the full and complete text of everything that will be enacted if the voters approve it. And therefore, they had to include those sections, and she describes them. One of the sections, hold on a so section one contains a short list of guidelines for tree protection during construction, et cetera. So that's one of the things they would have needed to include. The second one, section three, approximately two and a half pages of detailed guidelines for maintenance, restoration, and rehabilitation of oak woodlands. It includes acorn collection, method of sowing acorns, procedures for planting rangeland oaks, mm -hmm. weed control, et cetera, et cetera. So none of the text of sections one and three were included in or attached to the initiative. And so since those in her view and in the county's view became mandatory, which means they can't be changed except by a vote of the people, the people signing the petition needed to see that they were now putting those into law. Right. And that was not available to the signers, the 30, the 6,000 people who signed the petition. So the bottom line for the proponents is that they have to go back to square one. If they seek to do this again, they have to include those documents that were not properly included, and they have to go out and, and regather those signatures. That's one avenue to start over again. The other avenue is to take action to try and overturn Judge Price's decision, which would be an appeal. So, And that's solely in their court. Right. And... Even if there's an appeal, and there's every reason to assume that there might be, there's a very, a very short timeline on this. There's a ticking clock that is sitting there. Well, let me explain that. That's a great point. And this was uh, something that I have thought about. So the board has to make the decision whether to put it on the ballot by August 12th. If the judge had ruled in the other direction, there would have been an August 2nd agenda. In other words, upholding the, the mm -hmm. petition uh, the, and upholding the petition, we would have had to move forward, whether we appealed or not, besides the point. Um, that would have been an August 2nd hearing, at which time the board could have or would could and probably would ask for a triple 911, that's elections code 9111 report which is um, to look at the impacts of the initiative. That is not published but that in the ballot material, but it is something that everybody reads before. And they probably could have gotten that, assuming the judge had ruled yesterday or today in the proponent's favor. They could have started on that and got that going and had that ready by August 9th when they have to make a decision as to whether to put it on the ballot or not. Now, that process is stopped now because we have no authority given Judge Price's ruling to do anything because mm -hmm. she said the initiative petition is invalid and can't move forward. If they appeal, they could ask the appellate court to order us to continue the process. Uh, and that would have to be done relatively quickly so that we could still get the August 2nd, August 9th, August 12th, and the board could put it on the ballot 
under that judge's order. If the, the, the drop dead really mess up the election date is probably late, early September when we actually send material to our printers to be put on the ballot. And once we've started the ballot design and actually started printing them, then it would be a disaster to send everybody a ballot and then tell them you can't vote on Measure C, okay, because they lose the appeal. So there is some time if the judge, if an appellate court were to rule that we should continue the process to protect the proponent's rights while the appeal is going on, we could continue that process, but the appeal would have to come out uh, and be decided uh, well before, say, the 15th of September, and that may be too late, uh, in order for the election not to be totally confusing. So I have no idea what, what I have no idea, one, whether there'll be an appeal. I have no idea, too, and I haven't asked anybody of my colleagues whether there could be some kind of an emergency order by the appellate court to continue. And I certainly would hope that the appellate court would understand and we would uh, talk to, if an appeals file, we'd certainly point out to the appellate court judges that we have real concerns about having a totally confusing ballot out there where people are voting on something they're not allowed to. Uh, So I'm not sure whether such an order would issue or whether it would just come up and we would put it on the next regular ballot without further action by the So unless there is this special order, this emergency order that you're talking about, really August 12th becomes the drop-dead date. And in fact, because the board has to go through their process, it's really earlier than that. Yeah, well, the deadline for the August 2nd board meeting, at which time they could order a uh, 999-111 report, uh, is this week. It's today, in fact. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons the judge was asked and agreed to rule as quickly as she did was so that we could stop that process. Uh, that, that, that board item was drafted, but it's just going to be not put forward because we have no authority to do so given the judge's order. So really, unless and until there's an appeal, there's nothing more that's going to happen on this, certainly as far as the county is concerned. No, that's absolutely right. All right. Well, John, I thank you so much for uh, bringing us up to date on all of this. Well, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity, and I look forward to getting the link so I can post it for the public. Especially I appreciate it on a Friday when, you know, 90% of the people we know are taking the day off. Well, yeah, I have to tell you a quick story, even if it's on the air. When I was first elected in 87, I took office in 87, about six months into my uh, first year, I started, I needed, I had a question and I called a number of my colleagues and I didn't find very uh, many of them <laughs> there on a Friday afternoon at four o'clock. So I did find a few. So what? I, uh, ho- and I'm usually here. I'll be here all day today. <laughs> okay. John Tudor. Right. Thanks a lot, John. Appreciate it. Wine, food, talk. NapaBroadcasting.com.